Welcome to Civil Discourse. This podcast will use government documents to illuminate the workings of the American government and offer context around the effects of government agencies in your everyday life. And now your hosts, Nia Rogers, public affairs librarian, and Dr. John Augenbaugh, political science professor. Good morning, Nia. <laughs> you okay over there? <laughs> oh, I'm not. I'm completely stressed and totally grumpy and kind of slightly freaking out a little bit. Um, uh, is that because I'm just going to take a shot in the dark here. Is that because um, uh, of the elections? The fact that we are recording the Friday of election week and we still don't know who's president? Yeah, that'd, that'd be a good shot in the dark. Oh, I haven't wow. slept in like three days. My finger is exhausted from hitting the refresh button. Like, and what's funny is you told me about, I don't know, three or four months ago, Nia, this isn't gonna be settled on election night. It's gonna be tight. It's gonna be complicated. This is gonna be a tough election because we're in the middle of a pandemic. And I said, uh-huh. And intellectually, I, what I heard was there's going to be a lot of mail-in ballots. We're not really prepared for how that's going to work. It's going to slow us down. You know, a lot of them can't be opened until election day. There's double envelope. You were saying all that. And what I was hearing was wah, 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 like Charlie Brown's teacher. Yes. yes. Because I wanted election night results. Sure. And, yes. and it's three days later, and I still don't have them because you were right. And here I am. So, um, but it appears from where we are now that Joe Biden is going to squeak this one out um, and hit 270 before the president does. Yeah. Um, and again, listeners, just to, to be very clear, so when you're listening to this episode, um, know when uh, we are recording. It's the Friday of the week of the election. Um, as of this morning, um, uh, neither candidate has reached the magical number of 270 in the Electoral College. However, Joe Biden is at 264 of those states um, who have announced their results. Uh, as we record, um, it looks like he has uh, uh, leads in Arizona, Nevada, um, uh, right before we started recording, it looks like now uh, Vice President Biden uh, has leads in Pennsylvania and Georgia. So uh, any combination, basically all he has to do is get one of those and he will get to 270. His margin could be almost as great as Trump's Electoral College margin was in 2016 if all of those states um, uh, go uh, for uh, Biden. But that's okay. unlikely, right? It's, yeah, it's, that is unlikely. Yeah. It, I mean, the president will go up. The, yes. the, it will be closer than blowout status. It will yeah. be. Yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah it will and be like, like in Georgia, I think they're only separated by some thousand votes or 2,000 votes. I mean, basically, yeah. the size of my hometown would make the difference, which freaks me out because I know most of the people in my hometown related to a lot of them. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. It, you know, for, like it freaks me out when it's that close. And I'm assuming that when they're that close, and correct me if I'm wrong, but wouldn't that be in some places an automatic recount? 
Yeah. So in some states, um, if the margin of victory or the margin of difference um, is within a certain percentage, um, then the state will automatically do a recount. In other states, um, again, if the margin of difference um, is, is slight, okay, is very small, then one or both of the candidates can ask for a recount, okay? Does so, the winner ever ask for a recount? Uh, typically, no. Yeah. Um, uh, but then once the recount begins, the uh, uh, unofficial winner typically then wants to weigh in on how the ba uh, the votes are recounted, <laughs> right. which is what we saw in 2000 in Bush v. Gore. Um, once Al Gore uh, requested a recount, then the Bush campaign was just like, okay, now we want to speak. <laughs> okay, right. now we want to weigh in on how y'all are going to recount the ballots. <laughs> well, and but that was anyway. a lot of drama. Let's hope yeah. that we don't have that level of drama well, and I keep time. on telling my students this. I said, okay, guys, okay, we're within the week of election. We're with Right. It's, okay. Exactly. I, I need to relax because we're only three days out. And last time yeah, it was I, this bad, it was what, a, m a month and a half? Uh, it, it was nearly a full month. Okay. Because okay. again, right. the, the safe harbor date, okay, that Congress right. set up is basically five weeks after election day okay right and and that's what went on i you know i tell my students this i say guys not to sound like that old family member that goes ahead and says you know hey when i was a kid i had to walk um in foot high snow in bare feet both ways for five miles uphill yeah uh, uh, i had to kill a bear with my three ring notebook in order to get into the schoolhouse yes. which wasn't heated yeah I said, you know, not to, sound, <laughs> not to sound like that old family member, but I said, in 2000, this is the stuff that went on for an entire month. Okay, an entire month. Yeah, it's funny. It It's 20 years ago. So I was 20 years younger. Yeah. But I wasn't driven as crazy by it as I am this time. And, and Nia, what's the big change? The immediacy of media today, right? Because think That's back, true. think back to, for instance, twenty years ago. Okay, if you had a cell phone, it was a flip phone. Okay, and you didn't get the internet on your flip phone. You basically could take calls and send text messages. Okay, you didn't have you know uh, uh, you know updates from half a dozen news sources, even your computers. Okay, I try to remind students that, you know, in 2000, okay, we were coming off of Y2K, right? Internet systems, okay, were, okay, uh, um, famously slow because all of us had, had to go ahead and change our computer settings to go ahead and withstand any kind of Y2K crashes, hacks, et cetera, right? Oh, well, and just computing was just slower anyway. anyway People don't but, realize but, the phenomenal change in yes. 20 years. So, also, I, I would put to you that we were slightly less bitterly partisan 
Oh yeah, that's yeah, that's another than, variable. Yeah, than we the, are now. Yeah. I think that we have become again one of the reasons we have this podcast is because the discourse has coarsened to the point oh. now where where people are acting as if this election is personal and i'm struggling not to be part of that and part of it is you're right i'm constantly exposed to media which is urging me to be partisan because it makes them money it it that's a, a caution we need to remind ourselves if people are trying to divide you what are they getting out of it because they're getting something yeah they're not going to divide you just because they're bored they're dividing you because it makes them money in some way um, no, no. So, you know, and I think, uh, I think that during the recount, if I recall correctly, they didn't do hourly update, like, they just came every night and went, well, we've counted this many, and it's this, and we're going to bed now, and that was, you know, sure. and mean, now it's a, it's a refresh, 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 refresh. Yes. So what we're going to do, listeners, the rest of this podcast episode is uh, talk about the results. And mind you, um, some of our uh, results discussion is gonna be tentative uh, because some things have not yet been decided. Um, and if we make mistakes, Nay and I have already agreed that we will record another episode where we basically go ahead and offer a whole bunch of, you know, mea culpas. Okay, we were wrong, okay. Yeah, or, I like to think of that as nea culpa. <laughs> okay we're gonna have to remember it on that. my part okay i'm gonna pull a nia culpa here <laughs> isn't it nia culpa augie yeah 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 yeah, yeah. you Whatever. haven't met nia yet she's wrong a lot um <laughs> no actually uh, uh uh as we have uh, found out over uh roughly um what two full years of recording this podcast um, uh, I commit more errors than you do. <laughs> oh, no, that's not true. Um, you also know lots of more stuff than I do, but okay. So, okay, so what, I would what, like to make an assumption. Can we make an assumption at the beginning of this sure. and then go forward with that, which is yeah. that, that Biden will find the six electoral college votes that he needs to hit the magical 270 that's number. one assumption. Okay. Second. Okay. Um, whichever presidential candidate doesn't get to 270 will file a whole bunch of lawsuits. Yeah, we should assume that because that's already happening. Actually, we shouldn't assume that. That's in fact. That, that, Isn't that? Yeah, that's I can't remember fact. what they call it in, in law when you're like, I'm just stating facts for the record. Yes. Okay. Uh, it's almost like a dicta from a Supreme Court ruling. Okay. Yeah. We're assuming this thing is true because we already know it is true. Yes. Right. Um, and uh, third, and I apologize to any of our listeners who are Trump supporters, uh, the president will go ahead and make a whole bunch of grandiose um, uh, uh, um, <laughs> invalid claims about voter fraud so which he is already doing you know, yeah, so, so two of those things we already know are happening yes um, okay. so let's talk about that for just a second about the sort of the claims of voter fraud you have said in past that there is that there is a little bit of fraud yes. intentional or accidental in every election that 
sometimes things just get a little bit boogered up and and some something yeah. goes awry yeah. but it is not you have said in past statistically significant nope do you believe that holds for this election in fact i believe it holds more truth in this election simply because most states okay were hyper aware that that would be a claim made by at least one or if not both candidates or their political parties in this election yes okay so yeah. you think this time they've actually been oh i think they've done a, a wonderful job okay. okay i think state voting officials across the country have done a wonderful job and the reason why i say this okay is for two reasons one at the time we are recording most predictions are that voter turnout in the United States for this election will be about 66%. That 66% of those eligible to vote actually voted this year. That's the highest NIA in over a century. Is it, is it Reagan who said, you don't have to win the majority of Americans, you have to win the majority of Americans that vote? That's right. Like, like, and that's yeah. a relatively small number of yes. Americans. When you think 330 and a whole bunch of those are kids and they can't vote. And some of those are people in prison and they can't vote. And some of those are people who can't vote for other reasons. And then you get down to this much smaller number and then you only have to win 51% of that number in order to win the presidency. So I have to admit, I'm kind of excited that we have more turnout than we've had in a century, but I, I also am casting side eye at 2020 because I'm really during a pandemic is when this is happening, when it's more complicated to count the votes than it's ever been. Well, and that's the reason why I actually say, uh, 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 I use the adjective, they've done a wonderful job because the volume of votes is higher and the volume of mailed voting is significantly higher. And most states, and you and I started talking about this, Nia, when the pandemic hit in the spring. One of the major concerns that you and I uh, expressed was the fact that many states were unprepared for the upcoming election um, if they decided to have um, uh, more flexibility in regards to mail, uh, mail ballots, okay? Um, and without boring you with the excruciating details of what, okay, uh, goes into counting a mail ballot, it is a time-consuming process. And again, most states did not hire extra staff to process mail ballots. In-person voting is the easiest to count simply because most states now use some sort of computer technology to where you scan your ballot, okay, before you even leave the poll. Right. And immediately, okay, your vote is counted. Okay. Oh, I was number 414 at my polling place. Okay. Because you get, and the little number comes up and you know which one, which number you've, and there's a woman who stands there who says, what number was it? And she's looking at her clipboard because she checks off yep. the numbers. I mean, like Uber checked off to make sure. I heard that it's four minutes per mail-in ballot. Yes. Yeah. 
that's an enormous amount of time when you think about 80,000 ballots or 100,000 ballots or however many a precinct got. That's and those poor poll workers were like, sure, I'll sign up. They signed up last year. La, 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 not thinking that, you know. Okay. But <laughs> so if you break down, and again, we've been focusing in the first few minutes of this episode on the presidential race. Okay. But, you know, remember, folks, you had the uh, uh, presidency. Um, you had uh, slightly over a third of the Senate, all House of Representatives, okay, uh, were up, uh, all their seats uh, were contested. And then you had a whole bunch of uh, state uh, elections and state ballot uh, referendums and initiatives. Um, so what I would like for us to do is kind of sort of go through each, and we're probably not going to be able to get into the uh, the great details, um, but some initial, if you will, observations about each. So, you know, one of the first observations, Nia, you and I just talked about is, okay, more Americans voted. And yes, I frequently make the point that you did, which is we still have a whole bunch of Americans who don't register to vote, okay, so they can't vote or they're not eligible to vote for various reasons, okay? But nevertheless, I mean, you know, that's generally good for democracy when you have more people vote, okay? Yes. Okay? Um, at least I think so. I'm, so. I, I know that there's an argument. Sure. That, on the and, other side that in fact, that is not a good idea. Yeah, because and there's it, a, a whole bunch of people who are voting who are rationally ignorant. <laughs> right. And it's the okay. same argument that that helps to underpin the Electoral College, mm -hmm. right, that sometimes the masses shouldn't be making a choice because they don't make good choices. Now, in uh, regards to the uh, presidential election, um, um, it I mean, if you had one measurement, one statistic to show you how divided the United States is, OK, um, the presidential election turnout really highlights that. Because right now, Joe Biden is at slightly over 50% of the votes cast, and Donald Trump is at 48%. Okay. Um, yeah, not a huge mandate. Not a huge mandate. Okay. And, that, and that's going to be part of the difficulty for Joe Biden is that. Um, uh, you know, presidents, well, those who win elections always say they have a mandate, okay? The well, what are they going to say? Yeah, but the I squeaked that one out. Yeah. Woo, good for me. I mean. But the difficulty is if you win, okay, by two percentage points out of over, you know, um, 140 million votes cast, okay, um, a whole bunch of the population didn't vote for you. Right. Okay. Um, so on the other hand, okay, the most obvious implication of Joe Biden winning, uh, if he does, okay, and I'll stop using that caveat, but let's assume Biden wins. The most obvious implication is we now have a president, okay, um, who is an established 
Democratic Party figure running the executive branch. This is a guy with decades of federal government experience, both in the legislative branch and the executive branch. Let's not forget, folks, he was vice president for eight years. So even if you know Barack Obama didn't really use him all that much, he at least wasn't in attendance for pretty much all of the important meetings, right? Right. <laughs> okay. Um, so Biden and Harris, okay, uh, and, and Kamala Harris, okay, um, is a relatively, if you will, young federal government official, okay? She's been in the Senate for less than one term, okay? Uh, but she has plenty of governing experience in the state of California. She was attorney general for the entire state, right? Right. So okay. she's she's a political yeah, animal. Right? She's yeah. been in it uh, for a while. Yeah. Okay. Um, by the way, for those who were hoping that the election was going to be uh, a clear and obvious repudiation of the Trump four years, sorry, folks, you didn't get that. Okay. Same number of voted for him that voted for him before, right? Like pretty much spot on in terms of percentage. So the, what happened was more Democrats came out to vote than voted for Hillary Clinton. That's not right. not somehow Donald Trump lost huge swaths of the population support that he had before. That's right. And oh yeah, by the way, Trump actually did better among three minority groups, Muslims, Latinos, and Blacks. Really? Yes. Okay. Yep. Um, we also know the country- So it was a numbers game. It was turning, it was your turnout. It was completely a numbers game. Turnout made the difference. Okay. Okay. Now. That's an interesting question, which I would like to talk to you about some other time that's fine. not now, Yeah. which is- the difference between turning out for Hillary Clinton and turning out for 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 uh, Joe, Biden. Joe Biden. Yes. Um, and so, I mean, I feel certain that some of that is because Donald Trump was at one point theoretical and is now a reality figure in yes. American politics. So that's part of it. But part of it too would be interesting to talk about those the gender two. difference. Yeah. Right. So, but we will not yeah. put that, that's not, yeah. we're not talking about Hillary today. We're talking about other things. Um, In regards to the presidential election, you guys have probably already seen many of the maps, but the divide in the United States geographically is still stark, okay? The Democratic Party does well in urban and um, suburb areas of the United States. The Republican Party dominates in rural and ex-urban areas of the country. Okay, um, it makes sense. Um, and, and, and this is a phenomenon that um, my colleague Mike Paulberg talked about in a couple of political science department election panels. Okay, um, increasingly Americans will pick places to live because they want to live with or around people who think like them politically. Okay, it is just shocking the extent to which Americans do that. Okay, just shocking. We self-segregate. Yes, yes we are. 
Yes, we are. Even though we complain about segregation based on other criteria. Innate characteristics. When we are given a choice, we are increasingly saying, I don't want to live in that area because those people are blank and I think they are blank. <laughs> right? It, it is truly amazing. Huh. Okay. And we also know this about the voters um, so far um, uh, in regards to the parties. Uh, the Republican Party continuing a trend we saw basically throughout this millennium is uh, white male, increasingly poor and older. The Democratic Party is young, diverse, female, and increasingly wealthy and highly oh. educated. Okay, except Biden is one of those. Yes. He's increasingly wealthy. Yes. But, but he's but, not any of the others. No, he's not. So that's an interesting... And by the way, I'm going to talk about that, Nia, just a few moments when okay. we get to the United States uh, 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 Congress. But right now, okay, Joe Biden kind of sort of represents the old, if you will, guard or old school of the Democratic Party in so many ways. And it will be very interesting to me to see the tension between his White House and a Congress, a, a Democratic caucus in the Congress, okay, that ain't much like him. Yeah, they are progressive. <laughs> they want to move at the speed of light. And he's not that guy. He is not that guy, okay? You know, he, he, he is, okay, uh, an old school deal maker, okay, um, uh, in the United States Congress, okay? And by the way, I mean, I, we're kind of sort of going in this direction. If Joe Biden thought that campaigning for the office of president was difficult, okay, wait till he has to govern. First of all, okay. Oh, divided government. You've, you've talked about that before on the podcast. Yes. Because okay. the Democrats did not take the Senate. Is that correct? Okay. What it looks like right now, okay. Um, uh, it looks like the Republicans are going to retain control of the United States Senate. Now, as we are recording, the morning we are recording, uh, Georgia is still counting votes. Georgia, in regards to its um, um, uh, elections uh, for um, national office, with the exception of president, and statewide uh, offices, um, if neither candidate or if no candidate gets 50% of the vote, then they do a runoff of the candidates with the two highest vote totals. For their local, for their state and, and local. Yeah, for their state. Not for their federal. They don't make Joe Biden and no. President Trump have a runoff, although that would be awesome. So right now, or this year, uh, George, both of Georgia's uh, Senate seats um, were up. Um, and the reason why is um, uh, Johnny Isaacson, uh, who uh, represented Georgia in the Senate, um, retired for health reasons. Um, the governor of Georgia, uh, who, uh, who has this authority, appointed a replacement. Um, her name is, I think, Kelly Leffler. Neither of 
Georgia's Senate elections had candidates achieve the 50% threshold. So it looks like right now, okay, they're going to have two runoff elections in January. Now, let's be very clear. Georgia, okay, um, uh, the demographics of the state have changed. It's more of a battleground state than it previously was. But nevertheless, uh, at least one of the incumbent Georgia senators, and both of them were Republicans, uh, Purdue, uh, most people believe he will probably win the runoff election. Okay, uh, because I think he's at like 49.7%. Okay, then pretty much almost every other state in the country, he would have been announced as the victor. Okay, um, the Loeffler seat is iffier, but even still, even if Loeffler loses, the Republicans will have 51. Oh, so it's either 51 or 49 or 52, 48. Okay. But that's smaller than it was before, right? Well, uh, this year going into the elections, it was 53, 47. So. But remember, Nia, okay, right now. So peeling peeling one or two off is easier than peeling three off. That's true. Okay. Um, and in the Republican caucus in the Senate, they actually have two senators, Susan Collins from Maine, um, uh, who many thought would lose, but she actually won pretty easily, and Lisa Murkowski in Alaska, who are known to occasionally um, ignore the Republican Party's leadership and vote the way they want to. Hence their re-elections because yes. they're, they, vote, they vote locally. Yes, yeah. As opposed yeah. to party, okay. straight party line. On the other hand, let's be very clear. By today's standards, they would be considered moderate. By the standards of rec as recently as the 1990s and the first decade of this millennium, neither Murkowski or Susan Collins have been voting very moderately <laughs> their last uh, term, term and a half as senators. Okay. So okay. basically, basically what you're looking at here is more than likely. And again, okay, we could be wrong. I mean, come January, the voters in Georgia could go ahead and say, no, okay, we're going to go ahead and vote for the Democratic candidates. And by the way, um, if we have any listeners in Georgia, if you think the uh, uh, ad campaigns for the presidency um, bombarded your airwaves, your social media uh, before um, uh, uh, November 3rd, I'm just telling you right now, you better get ready because the next two months in Georgia, there is going to be a whole bunch of money spent on media Okay, because both political parties, okay, um, see how important Georgia is. Because if it's if it's a 50-50 split in the Senate, then the tie-breaking vote is the vice president, which means effectively the Democratic Party would then get, regain control of the Senate. 
So if you're the Republican Party, you're going to spend a whole bunch of money to make sure that Purdue gets reelected. And you also try to get Leffler reelected, right? If you're the Democrats, you want both of them to go down because that gets you to 50. And a split in the Senate, okay, uh, is broken by the vice president. So what you're telling me is that even after this is decided, it's not decided and I'm not going to sleep again until February. Pretty much, yeah. Okay, well, thanks. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't get you anything. Okay, so so now Joe Biden is looking down at, at down the barrel at, he has the executive branch, the Democrats retained the House, right? The House yeah. of Representatives, although a bunch of those turned over. Uh, they lost, uh, the last count I saw is they're more than likely going to lose five to seven seats in the House of Representatives. So, so, so there's, they'll, they'll have a majority and a pretty healthy majority. But still, that's oh. a that's commentary by the populace about yeah. that. And then the Senate will either be Republican or squeaky squeaky. So he doesn't have this. OK, let me back up. So one of the platforms what uh, for the Democrats this time was big change and giant, ginormous progressive. He's not going to be able to do any of that, there right? Because be, there's just not going to be there was not the votes blue, for that. There was not a blue wave. Okay, the Democratic Party is is portrayed uh, by the color blue, right? There was not a blue wave. Okay, um, and that's where the Democratic Party is doing a lot of navel gazing already because they're trying to figure out how in the world was the predicted blue wave how did it not materialize how did we not give okay our president um solid control of both houses of congress i mean because let's face it mia as we've already discussed the federal judiciary particularly the supreme court okay isn't going to be all warm and fuzzy Okay, about liberal policies that extend the powers of the federal government. Right? Right. A majority of the Supreme Court, okay, according to most experts, is at least five, if not six, out of the nine votes. Over half of the appeals courts, federal appeals courts in this country, have a majority of judges appointed by Republican presidents. Okay. So you're talking about at least the, the judicial branch that, if not openly antagonistic, will be occasionally antagonistic, okay, <laughs> to President Biden. That was actually brilliant on uh, Mitch McConnell's part. He's been working on that for years. It was He's basically been playing the long game, game. like a seriously long game of, Dude, we can lose in the interim little elections here and there, but what we need to do is stock the judiciary with young, conservative individuals. Young conservatives. I mean, the age group of the judges appointed by Trump, okay, was easily three and a half to four years younger than the average, average age of the judges appointed by the previous four presidents. 
Yeah, see, I sometimes I get the feeling that the Democrats are playing checkers and the Republicans are playing chess. Yes, yes. And that's not true of every person in the party, because, you know, there are brilliant thinkers on both sides. And there are people who are kind of chuckleheads on both sides. Yeah, I mean, for instance, Nia, you and I have talked about the Republican Party in the Commonwealth of Virginia seems to be playing checkers, while the Democratic Party seems to be playing chess. Right. So it does vary, right? Right. I mean, because right now the Republican Party in Virginia, okay, would have a really difficult time um, you know, getting uh, somebody elected as, you know, uh, director of animal control, okay, in a small jurisdiction, okay, they've right. fallen that badly. Well, okay. w- which is interesting to me, because we focus so much on the presidential election. But, um, but one of the things that's so important is the 2020 census, right? It's, it's yeah. redistricting which is done at the local level. It's not done at the presidential level. So it brings me back to that question of, yes, the president is important, but there are other people who are, there are other players that are really important that are at the local level and will be making decisions that will then go 10 or 20 years into the future. Okay, so before we get to state elections, let's just oh, go ahead okay. let's just go ahead and wrap up the Congress. Okay. Okay. So you're going to have either a narrow Republican Party majority or an extremely narrow Democratic Party majority in the Senate. Right. Democrats will retain control of the House. But the larger point here is Joe Biden's going to find that governing in those conditions is going to be extremely difficult. If the Senate's controlled by the Republicans, there is next to no chance that any kind of significant legislative program will be passed by the Republican-controlled Senate, okay? They they will put the kibosh on it, okay? So anything that the progressives in the House, if they're able to go ahead and convince Joe Biden to, you know, know, do whatever, okay, um, it's going to come to a screeching halt in the Senate. Except he's got executive orders. Well, you can do executive orders, but increasingly, as we uh, discussed in previous podcast episodes, uh, executive orders get challenged in federal court. Well, except that I'm going to push back on that, which is if you had a guy like you who knew administrative law and you could do it better. Oh, well, I mean, hey, I mean. And he does know those guys. he's, He's an old hand at. Okay, the, you that is correct. I have said that a number of times. You know, uh, uh, if the Trump administration actually hired experienced ex- federal executive branch officials and kept them in their positions, many of the executive orders and many of the proposed regulations in the Trump administration would have been written better. They would have followed the accepted process, the required process, and they would have been, if you will, not overturned by the federal judiciary. You are correct. Okay, you are correct. Right. Okay. So so yeah. what I, I'm going to throw out here a little bit is um, Biden has experience with being this guy because he was the vice president when this was happening to Obama. Sure. And Obama, basically his last term, 
um, you know, on the uh, on the presidential website, it said, "Going it alone." Right. Okay? Um, and that's what Obama basically did the last half of his second term. Um, he issued executive orders ad nauseum. Which yes. I, f I find interesting. I think it will be interesting to see how Mitch McConnell and Joe Biden work because they may actually right there may be some some because they know each other really well there's you make a good point there nia and, and and i've been thinking about that the last few days right i thought it was always very illuminating to me during the obama administration that when a budget deal had to be crafted between his administration and the Congress, he sent Joe Biden to the Senate to work out the budget deal with Mitch McConnell. And they got it done. They got it done three different times. Okay. See, I think that he has, he may be able to go to Mitch McConnell and say, we got to put everything aside and deal with Corona. And like we've got to deal with COVID and if Joe and whatever it takes to do that, we got to do, I think he might be able to actually. And if Joe Biden do can then go ahead and say to Nancy Pelosi, who more than likely will be um, uh, chosen again to be the speaker of the house. Okay. Um, if then Joe Biden is willing to go to the Nancy Pelosi and say, Nancy, this is the best we can do. And you're going to go ahead. You're going to have to tell the progressive wing of the Democratic Party in the House, okay, vote for this because this is this is the deal we have crafted with the Republicans in the Senate, okay? Right. This um, is what we can get done. This deal is what we can it. get done, right? Just suck it up and suck sign it, up. it. Yeah. Um, so uh, I don't know the extent to which Mitch McConnell will go ahead and do that, but let's face it, okay? The Republican caucus, since Mitch McConnell became Senate Majority Leader halfway through the Obama administration, has basically done everything that Mitch McConnell has wanted them to do. I mean, let's face right. it, there were four or five members of the Republican caucus who weren't all that enthusiastic about Amy Coney Barrett being considered for the Supreme Court, okay, within three weeks of the election, but they did it, and it didn't seem to hurt the party's control of the Senate. It's hurt a little bit. Okay, but that's not the reason why they lost, okay, in Arizona and Colorado, okay? No. Okay. No, and and it will be interesting. That will be interesting to see in a couple of years, if it if it has a a down ballot effect after she's ruled a few times. Well, yeah. You know what I mean, like there may be. That is true, but according to the exit polls so far, okay. If anything, the um, uh, uh, Trump nominating Amy Coney Barrett and the Senate actually voting on her mobilize. Republican voters to actually turn out and vote for Trump. Huh. I mean, that's the remarkable thing. It okay. also mobilized Democrats to vote again. Like, sure. okay, but nevertheless, okay, you know, in an election where turnout was so important, okay. Yeah. Um, but anyways, now. But let's, let, and let's, then, oh wait, I yeah. want to follow up on that real, real quick. 
Yeah. But Republicans didn't get more turnout. So that's something they need to navel gaze about. One of the things that Republicans need to, to navel gaze about is how is it that we, we how can we raise the turnout on on the Republican side? Well, because but 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 Nia, then you're going for now you're moving into a discussion of uh, a um, uh, a kind of sort of overall um, uh, takeaway from this election, okay? Right. And, and that is, um, if you look at the two political parties today, the Republican Party has, if you will, um, uh, uh, two negative variables. One, um, they are the party of Trump now. They are the party of Trump, okay? And we know they're going to be Democrats are going to be running against Trump for years. Okay, we know that um, at least forty-seven to forty-eight percent of the country who votes, okay, uh, will vote against them simply because it's the party of Trump. So the number of undecided voters that the Republican Party could attempt to capture, persuade. Okay, to vote for them in a given election is narrowed dramatically. The second negative variable for the Republican Party is if you look at who's affiliated with the Republican Party over the last um, three presidential elections, it is white males, older, religious, okay. And those are all populations, okay, that don't have room for growth. They just don't. The number of Americans who are religious, okay, is less than 50% of the country, um, according to public opinion polls, for the first time since we've been taking public opinion polls, right? Older white males, we know this, and I'm not being morbid, they die, right? okay? Um, they are closer to death than they are to having a long, if you will, life, okay? And by the way, older white males, okay, um, their life expectancy um, is getting closer to the life expectancy of older males of color. Really? It's dropping? Yes, it has been dropping, Okay. So, the Republican- which is, by the way, not a good thing. We yes. don't want anybody's life no. expectancy to be dropping. No. We would like everybody's life expectancy to be getting better. Okay. Um, so we don't want we don't wish that on any of our listeners or any of our folks in general. On the other hand, the Democratic Party has this huge positive. Okay, it has a huge demographic advantage, right? Youth. Okay, youth, people of color. Okay, okay. However, okay, we see it already with who voted for Democrats, okay, and who voted for uh, Republicans. Um, The Democratic Party has a problem with minorities because they appear to be lumping all the minorities together and assume that minorities all want the same thing. And quite clearly, a whole bunch of them, not a whole bunch, but a, you know, a statistically significant you know, uh, uh, minority percentage of minority voters were willing to vote for Trump. Right. And other Republicans 
who never repudiated any of Trump's behavior. That's a problem for the Democratic Party, okay? The other is... Well, the progressive side of the Democratic Party scares the snot out of those people. Yes. Because they feel like they're getting dragged way more left than they are interested in being. Yes, and that points to the second, if you will, negative that the Democratic Party is going to have to struggle with over the next two, four, six years, okay? Um, And that is, um, unless the Democratic Party wants to basically write off lower middle class voters, okay, no matter the race of those voters, their policies need to change, okay? Um, And, you know, the most stark example of this is what public opinion polls were saying before the election and what exit polling of voters said on Tuesday, and that is this, okay? The percentage of whites, blacks, and Latinos, okay, want the same amount or more police presence in their neighborhoods. So defunding the police, okay, as a policy platform won't get the Democratic Party anywhere if they want to go ahead and actually win elections. Right. If they want to win elections, okay. Well, the the what we're I think, and you, I feel certain, will correct me if I'm wrong, which is great. I think that we're starting to see what happens in Europe, where there are parties that are breaking off that are going to be. Um, I think the Green Party will get stronger. I think other parties will get stronger. As the Democrats say to the really super progressive wing of themselves, the uber left, like y'all are too left, you need to go make your own party because we can't be tied to that because we can't win with that. Like the thing is Americans are moderate like most americans are moderate they're in the middle they're just sort of like yeah tapioca pudding's fine it's not great but it's not terrible it's some, just fine yeah some lean left some lean right but notice their feet is closer to the middle right right, okay. right. all they're doing is leaning they're not actually taking a step to the left or a step to the right to the right okay and so these people who think i'm at the edge of my party either party and i'm going to drag the party in those directions you can but what you're going to do is destroy the party because who, whoever comes along that's moderate and builds a moderate party that's going to be the party that starts taking elections and to your that's going to be my new party that's it i just decided i'm declaring a party and to your (laughs) i'm going to call us the middle and to your point nia uh there are already press accounts of a very unpleasant awkward okay meeting that nancy pelosi had with democrats who won uh, their House of Representative elections that they had yesterday, okay? Oh, really? Um, yeah, where the moderates in the Democratic Party, okay, were shouting at the progressives in the party, you know, you all's, you know, you know, policy proposals hurt us. You know, we lost seats, okay, in districts that either voted for Trump in 2016, okay, 
or in 2018, okay, we were able to go ahead and pick them off because they were moderates, okay, but they ended up losing this week, okay? And if we want to grow the party, okay, we need to go ahead and find, if you will, policies um, that both progressives and moderates in the party can get behind. Because right now, what you're basically hanging around our necks like weights, okay, are these progressive proposals, okay, that allow our opponents to basically go ahead and say they're socialists. Right. And what gets you nowhere historically in the United States, if you want to win elections, is to go ahead and say you're a socialist. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't, that's, I don't think anybody's one doing that except Bernie Sanders. I think he's, yeah, right? He's, okay. He's the only one. And Bernie um, Sanders caucuses with the Democratic Party in the Senate. So, I mean, you know. Well, and Bernie Sanders is from Vermont. Yes. Right? Like, that's not going to play in. Yeah. They, they, that's they, not going to play in any of the flyover states. Oh, my goodness. No. Right? No state that has an edge, right, that's in any way square. Yeah. is going to find that acceptable. If, you're, if your state has an edge, you're not, that's not your thing. Um, the other thing too I wanted to ask you about was, so it seems to me that both parties are struggling with bench, with oh. bench depth, right? Like who the heck comes next? Yeah, that seems to be a real problem, not just for one side or the other, but like for both sides. Because in the Republican Party, unless you basically go ahead and swear an affidavit that you support Donald Trump, okay, you're not going to win a primary. You're not going to win a primary. So, I mean, your bench strength is basically Trumpers. Okay. And again, you just talked about how socialist policies, policies, Okay, don't resonate in the flyover states in the United States. Okay, think if you're a Trumper, okay, on the coast. Oh, yeah, no. You're not going to win. No. You're not going to win. You're okay? not going to even, you may not even get invited to the debates. Yes. I mean, it's that, it's bad. It's that bad. On the other hand, typically bench strength, okay, uh, the next wave of, if you will, national government elected officials come from the states. And the Democratic Party, though they've made gains in the states, are still in the minority in most states in this country in regards to control of state legislatures and governorships. Yeah, they're way behind. The Democrats are way behind and the Republicans have been playing the long game on that. And, and you talked about- Although the Republicans don't have a huge bench. Well, I'm, for all their long game, Trump came along and said, what's this game thing? Mangle, 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 toss. Okay, I mean, but, but, but again, Nia, okay, we're talking about two different, if you will, feeder systems in regards to bench strength, okay? Okay. Because at least right now, okay, the Democratic Party has a huge problem at the state level, okay? Right. A huge problem at the state level. And you talked about one of the most immediate consequences of the fact that Democrats, there was not a blue wave at the state level. And that is next year, what, uh, uh, what important, if you will, legislative process begins. 
Well, I know that it's called redistricting, but in my world, it's just called gerrymandering. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But again, okay. But so redistricting this, off of the census is going to be huge. And that's a huge problem for the Democrats going forward because yes. they don't have enough strength in the states to, okay. to head off some after, pretty serious districting. Okay. So after this election and uh, our state, the Commonwealth of Virginia, deciding to go with a quote-unquote nonpartisan redistricting commission. Right now, there are 10 states where redistricting is not in the hands of the state legislature and or the governor. So that means 40 out of 50 states, okay, redistricting is done primarily by state legislatures. Across the country, okay, Republicans, have control of both houses of the state legislature in 26 states. Is that after this election? After this election. Okay. Okay. In fact, Republicans actually picked up a state, New Hampshire. Okay. New Hampshire state legislature and their governor are controlled by the Republican Party. Now, they don't do a lot of redistricting there because New Hampshire is a small state. But I was going to say, there's okay. what, 20 people? They're not going to redistrict in New Hampshire. Okay, the studies that I've seen is that uh, states controlled by the Republican Party in regards to the state legislature and the governor, okay, there are 177 congressional districts, okay, that they will get to affect with whatever redistricting plan they come up with. States controlled by Democrats, it's like 130 to 135. I'm just saying, okay? So what you're telling me is there's about to be 300 lawsuits <laughs> filed about districting. Ah, but again, remember because of a Supreme Court ruling two years ago, okay? Federal courts won't look at partisan gerrymandering cases. They will only look at racial ones, okay? So unless state courts are willing to wade into this, okay, a lot of partisan gerrymandering will continue throughout the decade of the 2020s. But in fairness to that, that's been the case for years and years and years and years and years. Whoever sure. is in charge yes. gerrymanders the the sure. districts. Yeah. I mean, um, I mean, I we, mean, we talk about this in regards to Virginia. It, all but, sides are equally criminal. Yes. Yeah. Right. In this behavior. You know, the Democratic Party in Virginia, after Reconstruction, okay, gerrymandered state and congressional districts, state legislative and congressional districts for well over a century. Yeah. Then the Republican Party went ahead and did it for a couple of decades. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a thing. Yeah, okay. Um but, but by the way, okay? Um you're not seeing any significant changes at the state level simply because, okay? Um there wasn't a huge shift one way or the other, okay? States controlled by the Democratic Party okay, will do their thing. States controlled by the Republican Party will do their thing, okay? Um, by the way, um, in regards to state ballot uh, referendums and initiatives, um, another handful of states decriminalized marijuana. Oh, did they? 
Yes, they did. So, so are we more than half now? Um, yes. Um, if you combine uh, mer uh, uh, medicinal use of marijuana and or making it legal or decriminalizing the punishment, okay, um, well over uh, uh, a majority of the states uh, make it easier, okay, make it Can easier. I ask a question about that? Yeah. Um, so at some point, will the federal government be forced to follow, do you think, like, right, because at this point, it's still illegal as a federal crime, is it not? Yeah, it's still a, uh, a Hence category. why people yeah. who who want to start those farms in various states can't get loans from federal government, I mean, from federal banks and blah, mm -hmm. blah, blah, because there's all this other stuff. So <clears throat> is there a precedent for that, for policy sort of following the states of, oh okay. no, a whole bunch of us made something legal, so y'all need to just fix it at the federal level? Yeah, a good example of that is welfare reform that occurred in uh, uh, the mid-90s during the Clinton administration. Um, okay. um, uh, a couple states, uh, most prominently Wisconsin, uh, got permission by the feds to reform uh, their welfare system, and uh, it appeared to work. So that's how you got welfare reform at the federal level. Yeah, okay. I mean, the states are the laboratories of democracy. I mean, that's one of the justifications for federalism. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So we're, we're likely to see at yeah. some point a shift yeah. in Okay. Um, by the way, um, since we're kind of sort of coming close to uh, ending the podcast episode, there are a few other things I want to go ahead and point out. Um, um, and and uh, uh, and if uh, they appear to be drive-bys, I apologize, and we can probably go ahead and explore some of these in, uh, in greater depth in future podcast episodes. Um, but these are kind of sort of, you know, Augie's random thoughts about the elections as I've been going out on my, you know, daily runs, okay? So please forgive me, first of all, okay? We've already talked about how both political parties need to do some soul searching uh, for the rest of the decade. Um, pollsters, wow, did they, <laughs> do they look bad? <laughs> I mean, we are talking now about two consecutive presidential elections where the pollsters were off. I mean, they were off, okay? Um, now, as Nia and I have discussed, um, in particular Nia, let's, let's be very clear. Human behavior is nearly impossible to forecast, okay? And remember, polls give us probability of human behavior. So do people change their mind when they go to vote? Yes. Okay. Do people um, lie about voting? Yes. Yes. And that's the another that's the other part. Okay. Um, there are people who lie uh, when they fill out uh, surveys or answer polling questions. Okay. And they do it for various reasons. Okay. The other thing here is the media does a poor job reporting poll results. And as my uh, colleague Amanda Wintersek you know, points out, most polls have what's known as a confidence interval, the infamous plus minus, okay? Many polls, okay, suggested that Biden was easily in the lead in a number of states, but their plus minus was like 5%, 
or 7%, or in some cases, 9%. A good rule of thumb, folks, is any poll that has a plus minus of greater than 3%, you should probably not have very much confidence in the results. I mean, because think about it. If a poll says that Biden is up 52 to 47, but the plus minus is 7%, well, Trump could win the state easily. very easily. Right. Very easily. Okay? But that, they don't explain those polls very well when they, no. when they talk okay. about them. The media, okay, Nia, in my estimation, doesn't look all that good, okay? Um, and I hate to jump on the media bias bandwagon, okay? But it's getting to a point to where both sides of the ideological spectrum frequently use the media as a punchline to jokes, okay? It, it is getting to the point to where I'm just kind of sort of like, huh? Okay. Um, and in particular, I think the media needs to figure out how they are going to cover outsiders. They, do a ter they did a terrible job covering Trump, okay, in a lot of different ways. I think the media also did a very ter does a very terrible job covering the extreme wings of both political parties. The caricatures, for instance, of the progressives in the Democratic Party, okay, are shameful. I mean, I'm j that's just one example. That's just one example, right? So the media needs to go ahead and get better. And in particular, the media, okay, should actually not give Americans what so many Americans wanted on election night, which was calling states immediately for one candidate or the other. And it was really egregious, I think, on Tuesday night, how quickly the media called states for Biden, but then they would slow walk how quickly they would call states that quite obviously were going to go for Trump. Okay? Right. The difference was noticeable. Okay? And it leads to one side or the other saying, see, the media is biased. Right. If you guys, if the, if the folks in the media, okay, want to get out of this constant battle of, you know, is the media biased? Oh, no, we're not. Well, then do a better job. Do a better job. Okay. Um, can I say something about that? Yes. So the night of the election I'm watching um, online because I don't own a television. Um, <clears throat> For you. Well, I, if I own a television, then I stay up way too late watching stuff, and then I buy things in the middle of the night, and that never ends well. <laughs> uh, you should not buy anything from anybody who's selling you something at 2.30 a.m., because you're not making good decisions, and they're lying about whatever it is. But By so, the way, Nia, the number of times I've said that to my mother and my grandmother. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm just saying, it's great to watch the infomercials, but don't buy anything. Um, but what I noticed was that the place where I was getting the best information was um, the AP, right, the Associated yeah. Press. Yeah. And the reason for that is because the AP would explain why they called a state. Yeah. 
Like they had a big long paragraph under each one, why we called it this way, so that you could follow their methodology. And I would put to people that that is what you should, that's the judgment you should use about any media. When any person that you see on television says anything, you should yell at your television, or you should pick up your phone and call them and yell, cite your source, right? What why are you saying that that's a thing? Um, it's like this argument about voter fraud. Show me where there's extensive voter fraud. Can you show me two or three in a million voting? Yes. And I'm going to say that that is statistically non-existent. Show me where it's hundreds of thousands of votes that have been miscast. If that is the case, or that have been thrown away or burned or whatever, if that's the case, show me and I will believe you. But we, we seem to be having this problem where we're just taking the word of people because we like what they're saying. Yeah. And, and I'm, that yeah. is and a terrible way for you to pick who to believe on any topic. And that's why in your comments right there, Nia, are not only applicable to the media, but also Americans, but they're also applicable to, for instance, um, you know, the, the president claiming that there is voter fraud, okay? Merely saying that because a state once had you up, but now as they continue to count votes, and they're following state law and state regulations and you don't like the outcome, well, that's voter fraud. Okay, well, that is wholly unpersuasive, okay? Right. What is your source, okay? Okay, what is the behavior, what is the observed behavior, okay, that leads to that conclusion? And, it, and that's my next, if you will, point, okay? Um, the president looks bad here, okay? The president looks bad, and even if he wins, um, I would still go ahead and offer this criticism. Just because you don't like the outcome. I mean, this so much reminds me of so many conversations I've had with my daughter, okay? Just because you don't like the outcome doesn't mean that I'm being mean, okay? Right. Just because you don't like the outcome doesn't mean that voter fraud occurred, okay? You know what a mean mean? is that a whole bunch of state officials took their job seriously, they took their time, they got it right, and oh yeah, by the way, guess what, Mr. President? You lost that state, get over it, get over it, okay? You know else who looks bad? And you just kind of sort of briefly touched upon it, the United States Postal Service. As of this morning, the United States Postal Service has acknowledged that over 150,000 mail ballots never got delivered to local or state voting officials. Where are they? In various post offices and post office um, uh, 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 um, uh, 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 warehouse facilities, yes. They're gonna get delivered though, right? They will get delivered, but nevertheless, if you don't want to go ahead and be part of some sort of grand conspiracy discussion, then do your job. Right. Your job is to go ahead and deliver the mail. Yeah, you should do that. <laughs> if you're the post office, you should deliver the mail because pretty much that's what it says on the tin. Yeah. Right. <laughs> 
Okay. Right? Like when you pick up a can of spam, you shouldn't expect for it to be a Walk container. Raw, right. It's a can of spam. It's yeah. not, you know. It's not Beluva uh, uh, caviar. Right. <laughs> okay. It is what it is on the tin. And if you're the U.S. Postal Service, you should post stuff, which means you should mail thing. Okay. Yeah. But I mean, yes. I, I think that the other thing that we have to, that, that I've been thinking about a lot is um, Americans are so anxious to assume, um, Americans broadly are so anxious to assume that there is a conspiracy, that there's a that there's lying, that there's cheating, right? And that's just there's just no evidence for that being long term, like being widespread. No, it's, there is. Yeah, you're correct. Yep. It, it, you know, but we have this weird thing where we like to believe. I'm going to say it. Pardon my language. Crazy stuff. Yes. And we just need to say, no, people, uh, uh, okay, the post office looks bad and yeah, 150,000 ballots not delivered is terrible, but I doubt that that was a conspiracy of people saying, I'm going to put these over here in the warehouse and not deliver them because I'm hoping to jack with the election. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't think that that's... No. It, it, I don't it, think it, that's likely. No, I, I, I agree with you, Neil. You know what I think may have happened in many post offices across the country, they just didn't have the capacity to go ahead and deal with the increased volume. That, that's, a, that's your standard bureaucratic problem. Right. And it doesn't necessarily happen because there are a bunch of postal workers who are like, hey, let's screw with the election, okay? Or I just picked up a whole bunch of ballots from this post office box in this neighborhood that I think is either liberal or conservative. And let's make sure they don't get delivered because then that means my candidate may win. No. Okay. You know what happened? A whole bunch of post offices where it was like, oh my goodness, we just got thousands of pieces of mail. It's not Christmas. What do we do with all of this? <laughs> Stick them in a box and put them over there. We'll get to them in a little while. Yes, right. That's what happened. That that what that yeah. That's what happens, right? Okay, you know. And then somebody on Wednesday morning went, "Oh crap!" Yes. <laughs> they actually uh, said, "Oh crap!" Right. We better we better call somebody and tell them we got some ballots over here. <laughs> right. Okay. Hey, do we got an extra truck that can go ahead and deliver this to, you know, the state, you know, voting registrar? Well, and the thing is, if, and I'm assuming they were spread out over multiple. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're so probably what happened is they didn't get postmarked in time. Yes. Because right? a lot of states, they had to be postmarked by a certain the third. Time. Yes. And if they weren't, so if you found them Wednesday morning, you're like, well, we can't retroactively postmark them. However, they were here before then, but we can't prove it. So now we have this whole question of, well, if you can't prove it, then how do we know that they were there ahead of time and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, that's going to be tough. I mean, who's going to, that, that decision is going to be tough about whether you count them or don't count them. I imagine that will end up in court. Oh, shocking. Another thing to sue about. Yes. 
You know who's going to make a lot of money off of this election? Oh, lawyers. Oh. (laughs) If I had gone to law school for election law, right now, I could be making a killing. I'm just saying. To conclude our podcast, uh, Nia, uh, to that point, the last thing that my mom said to me as I spoke with her on Saturday, okay, was, you know, son, I'm proud of you. But you probably should have went and got your law degree. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. Thanks, mom. All those years in the classroom, wasted. You should have gotten your law degree. She goes, just think about how much money you would you would be making every time uh, we have elections. I'm like, you know, mom, I'm kind of sort of happy being a college teacher. She goes, oh, no, 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 don't, don't get me wrong. I'm proud of you. But she goes, you probably should have went to law school. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. I'm going to just say, and, and, I, and I say this sincerely, I wish all the best for all the lawyers and all the judges who have to make decisions about all of this right now. Yeah. Because there are people who still hate Scalia, and he's been dead now for what, three, four years, who still hate him over the 2000 election because they perceive that he was cavalier. Yes. About yes. the Supreme Court's position in that. Yeah. And so to J-Rob and crew and to all of the crews below that who are going to have to deal with all this stuff, I wish you all the best because this is going to be hard. It's going to be hard to make these decisions and make them fairly and honestly and transparently. And, um, and especially and, with a litigious president. Um, well, and, and, and also going forward um, in the spirit of your remarks, about what you wish for uh, the various judges who will have to hear these cases and the lawyers who will be arguing those cases in front of those judges. Um, uh, Those who won elections, okay. um, You know, I I, I hope that um, they, I wish them the best because governing is difficult, okay? Governing is difficult. Um, Governing is particularly difficult in a country, in an era where partisanship and polarization is uh, so acute. Um, So no matter if their policy positions are different than mine or not, I wish them the best because governing, even in the best of times is, is hard work but it's particularly difficult when we have a pandemic that is raging again, okay? Uh, We have a country that's polarized, an economy that um, um, is in shambles. Um, um, So, um, and I know we've kind of sort of done the very standard uh, American political science thing of hyper analyzing elections, okay, before the results are even counted, okay, but elections pick folks to govern, and I, uh, uh, I wish them the best um, in that difficult task. Agreed. Yeah. This is, and this is time now when we put all of this aside because we've got big problems, we shake hands, and we come together. 
yes. because we need to come together as much as we can to solve something like COVID, which does not care which party you belong to and doesn't care who won the election and can't hit the refresh button. So, yeah. it, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't care about the election. It cares about what happens next to a lot of folks who are getting sick and a yeah. lot of folks who are, you know, like you said, struggling. So now's the time. And we just need to support people as much as we can. We don't have to love people, but we have to respect them. Yeah, it's what um, uh, the scholars, um, Levitsky and Zablat, who wrote, uh, for me, one of the most influential books of uh, the past uh, five or six years, How Democracies Die. It's what they call mutual toleration. Yeah. Okay. Um, you understand that you lost and you tolerate the opposition because they won and you give them uh, respect uh, because now they have to actually govern. Right. Okay. Okay. Hey, thanks, Augie. And if we're wrong, if we're completely wrong and in two hours, President Trump is reelected, we'll come, we'll delete this episode and we'll do it all over again and pretend we were right the whole time. That's actually not what we're going to do. That's totally not what we're going to do. We'll come back. We'll talk about what we got right and what we got wrong. And we'll apologize for being wrong and we'll move ahead. Yeah, we'll go ahead and do what... Um, what adults do. What adults do and what I think more people should say is... Um, I didn't know, or I was wrong. Um, and, you know, and be sincere about it because both Nian and I are, um, shall we say, very realistic about the things we actually do know and how often we are wrong. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yes, we are. Have All right. Day, Nia. <laughs> Thanks, Augie. <laughs> You've been listening to Civil Discourse, brought to you by VCU Libraries. Opinions expressed are solely the speaker's own and do not reflect the views or opinions of VCU or VCU Libraries. Special thanks to the Workshop for Technical Assistance. Music by Isaac Hobson. Find more information at guides.library.vcu.edu discourse. As always, no documents were harmed in the making of this podcast.